Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Well, on the whole island, probably lost 50% of the homes, at least, just gone. Um, right next door, about 20 feet away, there's a concrete home that's completely destroyed, just concrete walls knocked straight over, roof gone. And actually, I found, I was just over there, and I found a piece of the concrete wall about the size of a cinder block in our yard. And we're not downhill from this place. You know, it's level, and it was probably 50, 75 feet away from where it came off the wall. So think about that, a concrete block, the size of a cinder block, yeah. And right next to it, there's a piece of plywood that's stuck in the ground. Uh, we call it the sword and the stone now, because it's you can't get it out. It's just like you took an ax and chopped it into the ground. It's probably two feet under the ground, I don't know. I'm Jason Stemple, and this is the Tom Rowland Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the show today. So much of what we talk about on this podcast is about people following their dreams. People having a dream that he, they're going to be in the outdoor industry, that they're going to be a fishing guide or a hunting guide or whatever it is. And you know what? We've, had, we've been so fortunate to talk to people that have made that dream come true, other people that are in the process of making that dream come true. And today's show is about just that. One of my best friends that I talk to quite a bit has had a dream for a long time. And he's told me about this dream and and uh, I was supportive of it. I saw that it could absolutely happen right away, and I hope that I gave him some encouragement to make it happen. But it has been so cool to actually see him bring this dream to fruition. My friend is Jason Stemple. 
And Jason Stemple has had a dream of owning a place in the Bahamas for a long time. He's made that come true, and he now owns a place on uh, Green Turtle Cay. Green Turtle is a really cool island, as are all the islands right off of Abaco. Um, so this dream, as you know, if he has just finished this purchase, has not been without a lot of ups and downs. We've had the, the hurricane. Now we got coronavirus. Got all kinds of things that have happened to make this be a difficult time or a potentially difficult time. But Jason has seen it through. And today, right now, he is pounding nails and he is at it, making that place great so that you can go over there and rent it and experience this place that is so near and dear to his heart. They're bonefish, giant bonefish right in the front yard. It's just a very cool little island. It's an amazing place. I think that if you ever have the chance, you're going to enjoy it. But right now, you can enjoy listening to this story about how Jason did it, how he did it, how he took the plunge, how he decided he was going to do it, and he actually did it. He and his wife made this decision, and they have seen it through. So that is super cool. I wish Jason all the very best. And, uh, you know, he's got lots of uh, links and stuff at the end of the podcast that you can go and you can find out more about his new place that he's got over in Green Turtle. So, Jason, all the best to you and to everybody else who is sheltering in place or self-quarantined or whatever. I wish you all the very best of luck. I wish everybody the the best of health. And uh, hopefully we can all take a minute to enjoy this conversation with Jason Stemple right now. Jason Stemple. What's up? What's going on, Jason Stemple? Enjoying the slightly breezy weather here in the Florida Keys. Yeah, well, we've, uh, we are on a small break from the end of the blue show. Taking a day off on a... It's been timely, actually, this time. Usually, if you plan something like that, it doesn't work out. It would be the, the nicest day of the week. But today, according to my... Windy app. Currently, it is blowing. Let's see what it says. I think I saw 39. It says um, northeast at 25, but let's see. 25 gusting to 36. Next hour, it'll be gusting to 38. Then it starts dropping after it's that. It's coming down. It'll be just fine by 5 o'clock today. We could right. be out there in 8-foot seas. Yeah. Good well, times. You know. <laughs> It's part of the winter time fishing. Maybe it will help the help the offshore fishing because um, I don't know. It hasn't been quite to standard on this shoot, but we did get we did get a really nice tuna uh, show. That I was very happy with everything that how that went. That went very well. We got all angles covered. I always consider it to be a big success when we have um, you know camera A is doing what it's supposed to do. Camera B's doing what they're supposed to do. Nick's picking up the slow-mo and all the specialty shots. The GoPros are running. We've got Jake Perry underwater getting good stuff. The water's clear and nice. Um, and then you're hitting the drone and getting still shots. And we actually catch a bunch of fish. That's, that's a bonus. Yeah, that's when it all kind of comes together. But it did come together for us. 
And uh, I thought we worked pretty well as a team on that that particular shoot that one day. But the other days have been a little tough. So hopefully this this uh, changing weather will um, shake things up a bit. That would be nice. Yeah. So what have you been doing? You just came from the Bahamas? I just came from the Bahamas. Been back and forth since Christmas several times. And uh, it's been good. We just bought a house over there and trying to get some work done and get it ready to get rented. So the work done was going to be done anyway, but I think I find it very interesting that you were closing on a house right when the hurricane, Hurricane Dorian, right? Dorian, yes, Dorian, Dorian yep. came through. Um, so the house is on Green Turtle. Yep, it's on Green Turtle Key, which is in the Abacos on the northern side. Um, most people probably heard more about Hopetown. It's a couple islands to the north of there, and... Uh, the whole area in September got hammered by Dorian, one of the biggest, not in volume, but biggest, nastiest storms ever. We should talk about calling it a Category 6. I think it certainly rivaled Irma down here, but uh, I was there one week before the storm doing a final inspection on this house that we were trying to buy, and uh, everything looked good, and then got home, and, mm. and uh, Dorian showed up, so... <laughs> Made things a little interesting. <laughs> and so how soon after did you go? Um, well, it took a little while. We, I was actually home in Charleston, and then we had to evacuate Charleston because after Dorian finally left the Bahamas three or four days later, um, it came right up towards Charleston. So we had to evacuate there, went on a trip, um, looking at colleges with my daughters, make use of the evacuation. And it took about a week for us to really find out anything about the house. Or actually, it was maybe even a little longer, but the, the owner contacted us uh, while we were on that trip and said, you know, I'm pretty sure the deal's over here. We don't haven't heard anything from the island, but nothing looks good. So we were like, well, slow down, slow down. We're, we're on board. We just need to see. Let's kind of hang out and wait and see what we learn. Um. And then finally started seeing some aerial pictures from the island, and we saw the round roof of the house intact. So we're like, well, I guess we need to keep keep looking. This might not be over. And, uh, so the round, yeah. the round structure, a lot of people around in the Florida Keys will call that a hurricane home. Do you know anything about why they're built like that? Um, so it's, well, there's, there might be a few companies, but um, this particular one is called Dell Tech Homes. And they've built a lot of these round homes. It's actually not r actually round. It's more like an octagon. It's got all these panels. But ours has 15 panels, so but it's pretty round. Mm. Um, and I guess the concept is there's no one big flat edge for the wind to catch. And the wind kind of goes it around. And the same thing if you have a car. You don't want a big square box in the front or on the sides. They, the further along we go, the more technology we have, they round them off so they don't have as much effect by the wind so so how did the neighbors do compared to your house well on the whole island probably lost 50 percent of the homes at least wow. just gone um right next door about 20 feet away there's a concrete home that's completely destroyed just concrete walls knocked straight over roof gone and actually i found i was just over there and i found a 
piece of the concrete wall about the size of a cinder block in our yard. Hmm. And we're not downhill from this place. Right. You know, it's level, and it was probably 50, 75 feet away from where it came off the wall. Wow. So think about that, a concrete block. Flying 75 feet. Block. Yeah. And right next to it, there's a piece of plywood that's stuck in the ground. Uh, we call it the sword and the stone now because it's you can't get it out. Mm-hmm. It's just like you took an axe and chopped it into the ground. Wow. It's probably two feet under the ground. I don't know. But you're, <clears throat> I mean, the the octagonal or... I don't know. Neither one of us are we'll good enough it, at math to yeah, remember 50. what a fifteen-sided <laughs> structure would be. But, decadecadon or yeah, something. so but that worked. I mean, it seems like that really it, worked. It seems like it worked. The house came out um, really well. The roof lost shingles, and it has like a cupola on top, like a barn that went flying off. Which we got a little water inside because of that. Um, but overall, the structure was in really good shape, and the wind seemed to go around it. Hmm. Um, that's interesting I mean that makes uh, I guarantee you that there's a lot of people that have those around in the Florida Keys that are pretty happy to hear that that it actually worked on on I mean that was the ultimate test yeah I mean one sustained I think they were saying around 180 gusts over 200 and uh, I think there's a lot of luck on Green Turtle during this too for different people um there was a lot of mini tornadoes and you can mm. see it going around the island. There'll be one house. Doesn't look like anything happened. And the one right next to it is, looks like a bulldozer hit it. Yeah. You saw that here. I mean, we're sitting on duck key and I came down right after, uh, Irma to help Scott Walker. And you could see that as we were driving up in the boat, we couldn't, this was, bef- we got in before they were allowing people on the roads. So we came in by boat and you, as you're passing, by you know going up the canal you would just come across these you know it's like no damage no damage horrible damage and then no damage on like four or five houses and as you were passing by in the boat you would get right up to the house that there was bad damage like the roof was completely gone and then you would hit it at just the perfect angle kind of like going down a like a an almond orchard or apple orchard or whatever where it just Mm -hmm. looks like there's a whole bunch of trees but then you line it up just perfect and you can see that they're all planted in rows you know what i'm saying and we would line up just perfect and you could see that there would be straight line damage like the house directly behind that house and the directly behind that house Mm -hmm. and the directly behind that house would all have roof damage similar and the houses next to them would not wouldn't have any so that's what i thought was happening too was that that looks like a straight line hurricane I mean, a straight line tornado, just, just, or some sort of, you know, microburst or crazy thing that happened in a straight line. But man, I don't know. That Dorian um, was intense. Um, I don't know if it did it. Well, I'm pretty sure it didn't quite get Green Turtle like it did on uh, um, Grand Bahama there, where it was just. Mm churning down Grand Bahama at like a half a mile an hour. Yeah, well, what happened was it hit um, Green Turtle and Abaco, and it was going really slow, not as slow as it was once it got there. Um, But Green Turtle and uh, the Outer Keys there, 
So Green Turtle is a little little island off of mainland Abaco. Uh, mainland Abaco is, I don't know, 50, 60 miles long. It's a big island. Um, relatively flat, like most of the Bahamian islands are. And the outer keys are kind of like barrier islands, you know, just a little set of small keys like we have here in the keys. Um, so, but they all have channels between them. And then a sea of Abaco, which is a couple miles wide. It's a big channel. Um, so when the storm surge came, it kind of came around all these little keys. And they got the wind and they got nastiness and tornadoes. But then when that surge came past the outer keys, it didn't really affect them much, you know. It found its way through. But then it hit the big wall of mainland Abaco. Mm -hmm. And it flooded straight across it, you know, 10, 15 feet of water. So the mainland just got pretty decimated. Um, but the Keys fared much better because they it was all wind and it wasn't as much storm surge. Hmm. So then when it got to Grand Bahama and it just stopped dead for 36 or a couple days, I think. It was just flooded water, you know. It was just pushed 10 feet of water at least, maybe up to 20 in places, and just it stayed there wow. for days. But the outer keys didn't get the storm surge, which lucky. is yeah, very lucky. I mean, some of the houses on the beach obviously did. Right. But the overall, the key didn't just get crushed over by 20 feet of water. Yeah. Uh, wow, man, that's that's intense. So was there ever a moment in this in this um, kind of two, three-week period where you owned two houses? Like you got your house in, in Charleston, mm. and then had you closed on the house in the Bahamas, and there's a moment where you own two houses and the same hurricane is coming from <laughs> both of them? <laughs> well, we it's a... The buying process in the Bahamas is a little different than the buying process here, as we've been learning. So we started <laughs> the buying process. We, we started kind of talking to the owners. We'd rented this house for a week um, for a bunch of years. And the owner had contacted us a few years ago about buying it. So we were kind of in touch with them, and we had realtors. We had all these people involved. But uh, we got to a point where we started talking with the owners and made an offer and we're discussing it with them starting in back in August earlier. Or, no, actually it was earlier than that in June. But, uh, so we went through this process with them and there was many, many stages where we thought the whole deal was over because mm. we just couldn't agree on things. And, but we kept pushing along and then the storm came and we we're like, okay, well now it's really over, I guess. <laughs> but we had right when the storm came, we had come up with an agreement on a price with them so we had, you have this kind of informal, formal offer and agreement, which doesn't really mean anything. Does that have but paperwork included? Or? There's, yeah, there's like one okay. piece of paper. <laughs> it's an offer. I mean, it's so weird, but there's an offer and then you sign it and it's, this is an offer saying we're going to now go to a technical offer and stuff. But so at that point, we had kind of bought it, but we hadn't. So we had all these little mini celebrations. and But at that point, at the storm, we knew we could get out of it. There was no, and the owner wasn't going to hold us, try to hold us to it, anything. Right. So we never had that big fear of like, oh my God, we just bought a house and it's gone. So, 
Man, I that I remember um, selling a house in Key West on Fogarty Avenue and buying a house um, in Key Haven. And there was a moment, well, when we closed on the house, we closed and had the car packed up to evacuate <laughs> <laughs> because a hurricane was coming. Exactly, kind of, that's why I asked that question because that was one of the most stressful times in my life ever was I had already bought the house in Key Haven based upon closing on this one, but the closing date was... After. Yeah, a little bit mm-hmm. after, you know, hours after. Um, and then here comes a hurricane. And so there was this moment. I, I mean, I was kind of a young man too, but I remember calling my dad and I was like, so if I got the check and a signed contract, like, that's done, right? And he's like, yep, as soon as you put it in the bank. I said, okay, I'm going to swing by the bank <laughs> and drop that check off. And uh, then we're headed to Orlando because there was another one coming. Oh. And we had little babies and decided to get out. But, man, that one. And, and it, luckily, that hurricane didn't do any damage to either House or, or Key West. But whew, that's stressful, man. I'm sure that this whole process has been unbelievably stressful. There's been a lot of not very sleepy nights, <laughs> for sure. More than I think any at any time in my life, even having babies, you know, at least then they're waking you up. This was, there's been a lot of nights where I'm up four hours in the middle of the night just thinking about logistics. It's, yeah. all, it's all logistics. Yeah. So uh, now, um, now that the storm's over, Immediately, there's a lot of relief coming from the United States. Um, in your opinion, like the relief that's going to the Bahamas, is some of it coming from the Bahamian government, or is most of it coming from the United States, or or like? And then there's like I know that there's tremendous support from individuals that just love the Bahamas or own houses over there, or that's like. You know, there's tons of people around um, Florida, you know, whether it's leaving from Jupiter or it's leaving from, uh, you know, um, Miami or wherever. People go over there basically every weekend mm-hmm. for a large portion of the year. Those people are giving tremendous um, support to the Bahamas. What is your what's the s- support been like? I mean, I would say overwhelmingly from what I've seen and heard the support has been from, you know, people that love the place, you know, from the States, probably overwhelmingly from the States and Florida, second homeowners, just people that visit, not necessarily second homeowners, but anybody that's been going over there for years, you know, there's so many people that that's what they do for vacation. They go there, they have their one little Island they love and they love that they know the people, you know, you're treated like family over there. And so they just go back to that one place and they support that, you know, and the government, I think, was completely overwhelmed by this. You know, <laughs> they don't have the money, they don't have the resources and they, you know, I don't think they had the skill to navigate everything, you know. Yeah. What resources do you think are 
most in need because I mean, just going through a quite a few hurricanes in the Florida Keys. I mean, when it happens here, you see like literally hundreds, if not thousands, of electrical trucks headed down. Like there are some, you know, they're all white. You know, they they don't have. It's yep. not like. Florida Power and Light. It's like a, a a third party contractor that responds to disasters and storms, or I don't know who it is or what it is, but it's sure, certainly thankful to have them, you know. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds of them, you know, making a convoy, whether it's Texas or Florida or Louisiana or wherever. You see all these electrical trucks going. You see um, dump trucks and just, I mean. It, it almost seems to me like have it not having been there, but having seen it happen in the, in, in the keys, it's almost like getting the stuff out, the damaged buildings, the trash, yep. the, the broken stuff, getting that out would almost be more of a challenge than rebuilding stuff in the Bahamas. I don't know. Yeah, what what yeah. has that been like? Because I like, mean, that part I mean is... just, just for reference, when, when, um, Irma came through here, there were piles of of trash that were 100 to 200 feet long, 30 feet high, and, then, and, and they would just kind of pile all this stuff up, and then they would, these piles would move, and they were there for yeah. years. I mean, and old cars that got flooded, and just getting that stuff out of the Keys was a monumental task. So what does that look like in the Bahamas? Like it's, uh, uh, it's yeah, probably quadruple that because everything has to go on a boat. So, and several boats. So I mean, on the outer keys, it's got to go on a boat, and then it goes over to Abaco, and they're making you know there's giant piles you can see there that are coming from Treasure Key and Marsh Harbor, and then some over from the outer islands. Um, I mean, up until I think a few weeks ago all the trash was staying on the island, you know, and it's got a little dump, but couldn't handle it. And they were, for a long time, they were burning it because they had just had to start getting rid of it, you right. know. You can't just keep piling it up and if there's not going to be any way for it to leave. And it's just, there's not a real great way for it to leave Green Turtle anyway. Hmm. Um, but they've started removing it. And I think, I think just spirit-wise, it helps. You know what I mean? You kind of go around the island and you're like, there's so much rebuilding going on and it's awesome. And you see new houses getting propped up and it's awesome. But then just the amount of debris just takes your spirit right back down. Mm. You know, when you keep looking at people's lives decimated on the ground, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's you coming from outside, but what are, what are the, what are the spirits like of the people that, you know, grew up on Green Turtle or, or that's just, that's their world? What is that like? I mean, you see different stuff, but for the most part, people are, you know, they're happy there. They're like, we're going to rebuild. We didn't know anything else. You know, this is where we live. We're not leaving. Um, we'll just get together and make it happen. And seeing that, you know, just made us want to be there more. Hmm. You know, it's different parts of the other islands, Grand Bahama and um, mainland Abaco took it worse, but also 
they went in, the government went in and evacuated everybody. So after it calmed down, everybody that had been evacuated over to Nassau or the States. And I get it. People have to have a life and there's nothing, if there's nothing there for them to rebuild or there's no way for them to rebuild it, they can't go back and there's no way to get really started. Mm. Green turtle, you know, a few people left, but for the most part, everybody's like, this is my life. We're going to rebuild it. And they got together by themselves. Didn't let the government get involved because it just slows them down. So they just like, we're just going to do it. And they had a whole bunch of money and help coming in from the States and other places. And they jumped on it quick, I think quicker than any other place. Hmm. So it's pretty amazing watching them rebuild and, it's faster than you would think. So what's the timeline now? This has been how long since this storm hit? Um, it's been about six months. Six months. So you were telling me just yesterday, oh, one place said that they just got power, right? Yeah, just a little pineapples bar. It's one of our favorite places. Little, It's really a shack on the, <laughs> on the water. It's got a shack and a pool. And really good food and fun drinks and always fun people there and uh, amazing sunsets. But it's just a little shack, and the houses on the all around it, a couple of them got destroyed. And it's amazing this little shack did not. But they've been open for business since I don't know a couple of weeks after, you know, running on generators and bags of ice and you know, got their little twinkle lights up in the what's left of the trees, you know, and going. And then they just got power and just the other day. So it's pretty cool. That's one but, of the things that, that I remember so much about, you know, recovering from a storm is there would be these, there would be these benchmark moments where like getting power back is, is certainly yeah. one. And you might have a neighbor or you might be the neighbor that is on a slightly different grid than mm-hmm. the rest of the street or whatever for, you know, however it was drawn and all your neighbors might get power, but you don't have it, but they let you run an extension cord <laughs> over to their house so you can run your refrigerator. And that's like major. Yeah, you think it's amazing. Oh, it's then- a major deal, major deal. But there are all these benchmark things of like when the power comes back or when the pile of trash in front of your house or your you know your driveway is now clear or or just whatever like just these one after another these benchmark moments that Mm -hmm. just really buoy your spirits like you're talking about and probably getting power back to a to a community place like that like yeah pineapples it's got to make everybody feel like yeah okay we're making some progress here. Yeah, and it was weird because power, it probably took a month or two for power to get back restored to the island. Um, but then everybody had been turned off. They'd kind of come and taken all the... Um, Transformer things? Just the box of your house. Mm. They, they shut every house down individually Yeah. so that they could turn the whole island back on. And if your house has live wires in there, it's half down. It's not going to start a fire. So they got the whole island back on pretty quick. And all new power poles, like you're saying, you know, somebody brought over a donated a, a lift truck, 
you know, so they were driving around the island every day, putting up new power poles. But then individually, each place you had to get somebody come and inspect your house with the with BTC Bahama company, whatever. It's gonna take forever. Yeah. Like, so you, and there's they yeah. got not to mention that those same people, the limited resource, they're asking them to do that in Abaco and Elbow yeah. and exactly. every other case or every other island around yeah. there. So and then when you go there, those <laughs> you know the guys with the with the hard hats on, you're looking for them, and you're like, "Are they coming to our house today?" Do they hold them hostage they, when they get yeah. there. They're like, "No, no, no, you're not leaving until well, you." No, and then they're on the ferry every morning. You know, they got to take a boat just like everybody else to get to the island. You know, so I bet they're glad to see those guys coming, though. Yeah. So, I was over there by myself doing work for nine days a couple weeks ago, and I still didn't have power, and we had the city water hadn't been turned back on on our road. So we had a cistern. The house has like a 15,000-gallon cistern underneath it. So, you know, you do a hard day of work, and then you go grab your bucket on a rope and throw it down into the cistern, grab yourself a couple buckets of water, take it to the bathtub and take a bucket bath in the <laughs> in the dark or with the generator running so you could have some power. And then about halfway through that week, the city water started working. Just enough to get a trickle coming out of the shower. I was like, oh, my God, this is awesome. But still cold water and generator running all the time. And then later that week, they finally came and gave me power. And I was like, that benchmark you were talking about, you know, I was like, oh, my God, a hot shower just changes everything. Yeah. Know? Think about if you had been there for six months. Yeah, how much it I know. I do. Things. And you talk to people and you see some people that just have the spirit going and going and going. And But then you see, you know, kind of everybody has their tipping point and they've been trying to get their power on or their water on or their roof done or something they've been there six months they haven't left you know and it's just soul crushing but push through and see them smile the next day you know it's pretty amazing yeah what uh what do you think about um the fishing in the bahamas how is it going to affect the fishing well, I mean, like we saw here after Irma, just the lack of pressure for a long time was pretty amazing. When we started fishing again, what was that, eight weeks later we were yeah. shooting shows down here? And it was pretty amazing. And I don't know if the fishing really actually changes that much or if it's some of it's your perception. But, I, you know, I think just the fish getting a break from people fishing every day makes a difference yeah and it comes back strong my experience with hurricanes is that they're not good for people but they're really good for fish mm -hmm. um even the worst hurricanes that we've had down here the fishing has been far better after than it was before i mean it's almost like a nature's reset yeah and then you couple that with lack of pressure yeah months Months, months and of, months and months, months of lack of pressure. Yeah, especially where you have like a bonefish lodge or whatever, and every day you've got yeah. people going for years and years and years to those flats right around the the lodge, and then all of a sudden, zip, no yep. pressure. Yeah, that's going to change a lot of things. I mean, even if fish, there aren't more yep. fish, they start doing things that they weren't doing before, and then you know they they feel comfortable in areas probably tailing right by the dock, yep. you know, the boat where the boats usually are, but they're not. Um, how long do you think it's going to take before 
um, it's back to businesses as usual for the Abaco kind of lodges and 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 guides that are or just the fishing industry kind of in that Abaco chain there all the way from where you are down to Abaco and then you know Elbow and all the yeah, all so the other ones where we are there's there's only two bonefish guides on the island um and I talked to one I flew over with one last week and he he was doing some fishing hmm. um he had a few clients coming in so that's great um but i think it'll be a while for green turtle before they're booked up you know there's just not a lot of places for people to stay at the moment hope town i'm not real i don't know a ton about hope town but i know their progress is coming along a lot slower um and if you go down the coast from there and then you got uh oliver white's place on the west coast on the side of marsh harbor um, I haven't heard much about the rebuild there. Marsh Harbor is not doing well. Um, they need a lot of help. Hmm. And I'm not sure if he's even had a chance to start rebuilding the lodge yet because they were right in ground zero. But then if you go, you know, you go 20 something miles south of there and you have Delphi Club, I just showed you pictures of there. That place doesn't look like anything happened. You know? Yeah. It was so, it was. It was a huge storm, but it was small and, you know. Yeah, well, that's kind of, I mean, even, even you know, with the storms that we've had in the Keys, you, you can have one that, um, that, that hits, you know, Marathon, but does nothing to Key West. Yeah. Or, or it hits Big Pine, but doesn't affect Isla Mirada at all. Yeah. I mean, it makes a mess, you know, there's yeah. palm fronds everywhere and, and it's, you know, you got to clean up week, some. A yeah, couple weeks clean yeah, up versus weeks. years. Yeah. yeah, exactly. But then, then it does hit. I mean, they have a tendency to hit certain places. But having not seen it over there, I don't know what. I mean, just judging by the the Weather Channel and everything that I watched during that storm, that was unprecedented. The way that that storm just kind of so, got yeah. to a place and then just sat there and just churned slowly. Mm-hmm over that area it was it was weird i've never seen a storm do that before no i don't think anywhere many people have and it really did a lot of damage in those places especially on the bigger islands you know where it just sat and sat and sat and when it does that on the bigger islands it it definitely hurts the recovery because you know marsh on abaco marsh harbor um it's the central it's the main city there. So mm-hmm. it's kind of always been everything came in and out through there. That's where the lumber yards are. That's where everything, you know, the main part of the industry is centered there. And that place is not up and running at all. You know, there's a couple stores open there. What about the airport? Is that where you're well, flying into? So Green Turtle's about 30 miles, I think, north of of Marsh Harbor, mm-hmm. so you can fly into Marsh Harbor and get a cab up. It's about a 45-minute ride to the ferry to Green Turtle. Um, usually, we like to fly into Treasure Key Airport, which okay. is yeah. like a five-minute cab ride to the ferry. Um, the Marsh Harbor Airport is back up and running, um, so we have commercial flights coming in and out of there. Uh, Treasure Key Airport got pretty well decimated. The buildings are leveled, and there hasn't been any attempt to rebuild them yet. 
So so you can fly in and out of there, but it's on smaller charter companies. So is that how you've been getting there? Yeah, I've been going on smaller charter planes. Sounds pretty fancy, but it's it's not it's not it's not as fancy as you would think. Um, I've been going on small charter yeah, flights. Charter flights but I yeah. wish I was on larger economy flights. Yeah, <laughs> it's a little pricey, but it's not crazy. They make a good do a good job of making it reasonable. What about the seaplanes? Can you take like Tropic Ocean Air into into uh, Green Turtle? I've seen Tropic Air flying over the house several times last week. Yeah. Um, so I know they they fly there. I don't know much about it. Mm. Um. I haven't really looked at it because it doesn't really work for me where they're flying in and out of. And uh, so we've been flying out of Orlando a lot. They fly direct into Treasure Key, and I can drive down to there from Charleston and bring supplies, which need to bring supplies because the, the logistics of bringing stuff over on boats is slow. And how much can you bring on an airplane? Well, the smaller planes they let you take forty pounds total with your ticket. But then if you they have space, they'll let you pay a couple bucks a pound for as much as they can fit. So what kind of stuff have you been taking over there? Uh, cans of paint, <laughs> tools, like every time it's I go. It's the most expensive can of paint oh, yeah. known to man. Yeah, so you buy a can of paint for, you know, 20 bucks and then charge you two and a half dollars a pound. <laughs> and a can of paint weighs a lot. Yeah. You know, so, yes, everything is pricey and difficult you know i've been getting all these makita cordless tools so every time i go over there i'll throw a couple tools in my bag and build a stockpile of tools over there to rebuild and uh it's uh yeah it's interesting <laughs> and then you had some help you got a had a dude go over there with you yeah i had friends in colorado who are builders um i had one of them come over right after the storm um I mean, sorry, right after Christmas, and we went over there and did a bunch of work on the roof, and then we just went back over a couple of weeks ago with another friend of mine from Colorado, and uh, we built our screen porch and uh, working on decking. So it's kind of, it's slow progress, but if you can get a little help with you, you can get a whole lot more done. Yeah, for sure. I mean, to do that by yourself is almost impossible, but man, I'll tell you, the pictures that you've been posting of the flat right in front of your house they're incredible. It's, like, yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, <laughs> we're watching, we're up on the roof. And just last week I was up on the roof and I watched a group of four, I don't know, six to eight, maybe close to 10 pound bonefish that you could literally have cast to from the, you'd have to go through the top of the dead mangroves, but you could have hit them with a cast from the, from the, from the porch roof, you know, then just lazy coming around three of them tip up and tail a little bit and, you know, they're real lazy and slow when you're not on a boat or walking around chasing them and they don't yeah. feel you, you know? So it's pretty cool to watch them yeah. sitting up all there on the roof. Maybe when when it, um, when it you get it all back to normal, you can make that fish watching only. Like you got <laughs> you to gotta, you gotta wait out like a couple hundred yards before you can fish so that at every sunset people can watch the bonefish yeah, so, right in front yeah, of the house. Yeah, they still get, yeah, stay lazy and... Not pressured right there. Well, that's cool, though. You don't so, get to, I mean, like, it's not always, I, I would say a lot of anglers never have that experience of being able to just sit and watch and, and watch them because they're so excited. Like, they've never caught a bonefish before. Or they haven't caught very many in their life. So everyone that they see, they're going to cast to, 
and it's mm-hmm. it's you got to get to like a next stage of your fishing career or have broken your rod or <laughs> ran out of flies or or you know done all something those. yeah before where you, you just are content with just watching and you can learn so much by just watching them and and and, and watching them for an extended period of time not like for just the the two seconds before you take a shot before they get close enough, but like watching them just standing there very, very still or sitting on the boat or whatever, and just letting them do their thing. No, I've learned a ton doing that in my career. And there's been a lot of times, you know, up in Charleston with redfish or, or just, well, not to be on the boat with you guys, because you guys are going to throw immediately, but (laughs) (laughs) especially some more than others. But, uh, but a lot of times I'll go out there with my camera, the long lens, and a fly rod. And I, you know, tell myself, okay, if he's tailing aggressively and it's going to make a good photo, I'll put the rod under my armpit and shoot photos. If he's not, if, you know, if he's just tipping up a little or he's cruising and you can't see him with the camera anyway, then I'm casting. <laughs> so you learn a lot with those two different scenarios when you're doing it back to back. You know, when you cast... They don't like it. Right. Throw stuff at their face. Nobody likes getting stuff thrown at their face. <laughs> you know, everybody flinches, goes the other way. But if you just sit there quietly and take photos, they'll tail right up to you till they almost bump into your feet. You know, mm-hmm. they don't really see if you're not moving, you're just a stick. So I've learned a ton being able to do that and watch them. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, I always think we cast too soon. Like, I don't know, doing the TV shows, I've learned a lot to where sometimes the camera guys are just like, dude, we're we're shooting right into the sun. If you catch that fish, it'll never make the show. So we either need to catch them down sun or go to a different place or whatever. And, you know, you're out there, you've got two boats, you've got a fishing boat, a camera boat, all these people. And, you know, it seems like these things are hard to catch when everything's going right. Now you add up all of these other factors and they want you to catch them down sun. That seems like an impossible feat. But on occasion, we've said, well, all right, we'll just sit here and wait and see what happens. And sure enough, man, the fish will either go where you want it to or we can slowly move the boat around the fish or something. But if you're patient enough and move slowly enough, it is possible to, I mean, of course we spook tons of them trying to do Mm -hmm. this, but it is possible to get that fish in the most artistic position, which is great for the cameras and terrible for the angler because, you know, we're looking for an angle that we can see the fish in the water. So we want, you know, sun at our back and, and to be able to see into the water very, very well. So we can see that fish that may or may not be the best angle to make a TV show. Like they might want Mm -hmm. the sunset just peeking through (laughs) <laughs> and you know you're now casting right, right, an angle where you can't see the fish at all and i don't know those things have been have been the most interesting to me about like making the tv show is just some things that you just think are going to be completely impossible 
with enough time and patience, they can yeah. happen. And if you don't cast a lot of times, that fish is just going to do its thing. Because that's what it's been doing, you know? Right. If you don't mess it up, take your time. He's just going to keep doing that. Yeah. Especially if you're fishing live bait. Like, that's the way we used to fish bonefish in Alamorada when they were, um, when the downtown fish were really, um, you know, really happening. And you could get some really giant bonefish there. And we would see one. And I would throw like 100 feet ahead of it, mm -hmm. way out and ahead of it. And just leave it there. Just let it sit there. And some people would use broken crabs. Like they would take a crab and per and on purpose they would step on it or bite it in half. Mm, just for and the then sap. throw it like 100, 200 feet in front of this fish and just let it sit. And you would see the fish. He would be tailing all around and moving around. And then finally he'd kind of, hmm, what is that? I smell something good. And he'd go right up there and, and eat your bait. But if you tried to throw close to that fish... Gone. I'm talking about a 13 pounder. There's no way they've seen it like, all. They've seen that a hundred times before. The only thing that they're gonna go for is like way out in front of it, and then you let them find it. Which I always thought that's what Fitz Coker always used to say is like, you never want to show them the fly. You want to let them discover the fly. Yeah, it's a lot like parenting. <laughs> you want you want to let. You want to let the kid think it's their idea. Yeah. And and as opposed to forcing your idea upon them, which only results in retreat. Yeah. Same with fish. I go, you, I go back and forth with the bonefish all the time. They're out in front of our house. I just, I do, these fish get fished a lot, but there's big fish. It's kind of like the down, you know, the old Isla Mirada mm -hmm. town town flats and they get fished a lot. There's big giant fish. And there's a big area that's white sand. And, man, when you get on that, they can be near impossible sometimes. And it's like you take a couple shots where you throw it right at their face. And they don't like that. So then you throw one out 20 feet ahead and just duck. And you're like, I'm just going to let them come do it. And then they see it somehow, something they don't like from 40 feet away. And you're like, I, I don't know what to do now. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's fun problem solving, but it can be it can be frustrating sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, but that's the that's the beauty of the whole yeah. the whole fishing um deal, like for these fish that you can see. And when when I went to uh Christmas Island, you would see I mean you would just have so many shots over the course of a week. And in some you know, maybe it's the angle of the sun, maybe it's the bottom, maybe it's the fly you're using, maybe it's the way the light catches the leader. Like you say, some fish, you know, you'd throw way out in front of them and they would spook from it from a long way away. Mm -hmm. Like, what in the world? And another fish, you could throw it directly at their face and plop it in there and they would jump on it like they've been waiting for that all day <laughs> yeah. long. And then, you know, it's like, you don't, sometimes you don't know exactly what it is and maybe it's not even important to know it's like okay i'm gonna try this this is my go-to first try whether that's way out in front or right in the face yep. and then i'm going to kind of um, adjust accordingly but that adjusting accordingly is much easier when you're getting 100 shots yes. an hour than <laughs> it is when you're getting one shot a week mm -hmm. you know you just hmm, can be tough same thing with the tarpon too though yeah, and you don't know what the factor is that's turning them off. But. Right, but they don't like it. 
but it makes putting the puzzle together more fun. Yeah. So how long do you think it's going to be before you have your house up and running over there? Well, that's a bit of a moving target. You know, <laughs> at, the, at the beginning, we we were thinking um, March sometime. Now we've pushed it back April and probably safe to say I think we can have it rentable May 1st, I think. Really? So that's that's, that's what, pretty optimistic. That's what I we're think. going for now. You know, we've had boats, loads of stuff trying to get over there that we thought were going next week, and then it ends up being two months later. You know, so been dealing with all that, and it's been a, a challenge. But we've still been going over and getting work that had to get done anyway. Done, maybe not what we wanted to get done. Maybe not with the tools that we had sitting somewhere in a warehouse or on a boat that wasn't sailing, but uh. We got another boat coming in, hopefully leaving the next week or so with more stuff. And uh, and after that, I think we got a plane. We're gonna put some furniture on. <laughs> so it's been a it's been a challenge getting stuff and getting been having the time to get over yeah, there and you need work. That, and, that Amazon giant drone delivery to, yeah, to come to fruition. Exactly. That'd be pretty sweet. Like you one just of those drop ones. a couch over there. <laughs> yeah, like a drone the size of one of those <laughs> army helicopters that brings in tanks. <laughs> how did you how did you originally find Green Turtle in this house? Uh Green Turtle we found um so we got Joanna and I got married in two thousand one and we were looking for a spot for a honeymoon where she could chill out and I could bone fish. Mm. And I hadn't it would be my first time bone fishing actually. But uh so we were looking at the Placencia area in Belize and we were kind of sold on that. And then big hurricane hit and wiped them out. Mm. So, <coughs> so we kept looking and we found green turtle. And, uh, so we went there on our honeymoon and it was, what year was that? 2001. Okay. So we were get we got married October 6, 2001. So, look at your history that was uh, a few weeks after 9-11 mm. so we had a big wedding planned and you know then 9-11 happened and had a you know a bunch of guests from all over the place colorado northeast um they were just like i'm not flying even if i could you know there were so many flights canceled and everything um but it worked out fine for us and we got everything going and we went, ended up going to green turtle key and staying at the bluff house resort. And, uh, we had never been to the Bahamas and got there and it was so low key. There was literally for the first five days of our trip, we were the only people staying at the resort <laughs> it's hurricane season, you know, which we didn't know much about, but it was awesome. It was so relaxing and chill. Um, we'd go up and they would, give us appetizers and make us pina coladas every every day at five and you'd take your your dinner order at breakfast and i went bone fishing caught a couple of big bonefish right on the town flats right out in front of i could have seen them from the house now but the house actually wasn't built then um but we kind of fell in love with it and then a few years later we started going every other year for a week with our friends from colorado um and just started staying in rental houses and uh, rented a few different ones. And then we found this one, which was, uh, you know, pretty reasonably priced for a rental week. And uh, we kind of fell in love with it. It was just kind of 
relaxing. It was real close to town, but had the view of the flats, and you could just walk right out the front door and wade in the morning. My buddy and I would go and uh, out at sunrise every morning and wade for bonefish every every morning, come back in, have breakfast with the girls, and then we'd go out on a boat and explore all the other islands and bonefish more or just mess around and uh, kind of fell in love with it and then started talking to the owner a little bit and went from there. That sounds awesome. Like that, just that schedule, you know, bonefish a little in the morning, come back in, girls are getting up, you have breakfast, get on a boat Mm -hmm. and you can just rent boats right there. Yeah. You can rent boats for the week and uh, you can hold on to the boat all week, which I think is kind of unique. A lot of places you go rent a boat for a week and they want you to bring it back to their dock every night. But this right. about 150 yards from the house, there's a little public dock so we can leave it there and ride the golf cart down and uh, keep it there and go out whenever we want. So it's Are there places to relaxed. eat and stuff? Like when, when this place gets all back up and running? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, some... uh, there's probably a dozen restaurants around really? town. Um, Seems like a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's... Their whole business is tourism there. Yeah. There's not really any other industry, so. And something that those might be, some are little shacks, some are, you know, there's two resorts that each have a couple of restaurants, and, uh, but uh, it's fun. You yeah, know, and so lot, those restaurants, are they getting back up and running? There's a couple. There's uh, kind of unlimited schedules, so you can go there, you know, you go there now and still eat at a couple places, and there's a grocery store open. You know, we end up going out about half the time and cooking half the time at the house that's awesome that's awesome so uh you got this instagram going for your for your house right yeah yeah so the house used to be well still is kind of called uh round view basically your address over there is your house name so every every (laughs) house's name there's no street numbers or anything um but we renamed it bonefish bluff this was your chance man you could have had like Jason Stemple Boulevard. <laughs> like, you could have done it. And you, ju- and you chose Bonefish Bluff. We chose Bonefish Bluff. So okay. that's the name of our house. And uh, it'll be up on the rental market pretty soon. And it's a two-bedroom, two-bath. We just uh, built a big screen porch for overlooking the, the flats and having a cocktail in the evening and coffee in the morning while you watch Bonefish. Man, cool. that sounds awesome. Yeah. And then you can go to uh you know i fell in love with a little place over there on elbow key just a couple of keys down from there i hope that they rebuild their little store that made this amazing coconut bread but i'm oh. sure that they make coconut bread on green turtle too but that yeah, has to best. be one of my favorite things about going to those out islands in the bahamas or even you know even bimini has it but you just go and you you get this there's just somebody just making this incredible bread and I remember the first time I found it, Cynthia and I were kind of driving around one of these little islands and we smell something. And we're like, what was that? Turn around and go in and there's this little old lady mm-hmm. in her house. I knocked on the door. I'm like, hello. <laughs> She's like, oh, hello. Come on in. Like, okay. Uh, do you sell bread? She's like, oh yeah, we'll have some, we'll have some coming out of the oven here in a few minutes. And, We bought one loaf, and I think before we walked back to the car, we had torn that thing up and eaten three quarters of it. We were like, we need to go back in there and get two more loaves of bread. Uh, 
and and then before we got back to the house we were staying in, I think we had ripped the other. <laughs> we sat, had one saved, but the same thing happened when we went to Bimini uh, recently with my daughter and her friends. We just crushed that coconut bread. It's so good, and there's not much to it. It's just, you know, it's like a warm loaf of white bread just with little chips of coconut in there, and it's just the right amount of coconut so good it's not super sweet i mean you could we make sandwiches we make like turkey sandwiches on it for the boat or you just have it with butter and it's so good same thing and uh the same thing all the little places they make you know the fresh conch salad conch chowder my favorite thing is crack conch burger they call it, it was a pile of fried crack conch on a, on a mm, burger with coconut bread that would be good Fried with coconut bread. Con, <laughs> coconut bread. Coconut bread with be butter. Good. That sounds like a good place to ruin my diet. It would kill it. Yeah, for sure. but it would be worth it. It'd be worth every minute. But they also have, you know, they'll cook. They cook fresh fish a lot of times. The blackened fresh fish over there is the best. Yeah, I've never seen it so good. So, lots of options. You, you got a, any? Um, the mutton snappers. Like when I was there, we were catching some mutton snappers on the flats. Are you seeing those? Um, I didn't see them the last couple of times, but I also, I don't, I've seen, I only seen them once or twice out in front of the house. Um, I have a couple other flats that I go to by boat that I see them a little more regularly. Mm. I caught one, I think was about 28 inches once on my seven weight. It yeah. just ruined me. I mean, it, I've never seen somebody take so much so line. So when you get your, here's the, I, I put you on the flying fish shot a few years ago and you, you, it took a while, but you got it. Like I th- always thought, man, I mean, we're just out there offshore. I see these flying fish jump up. I'm like, dang, man, if you had a badass camera and you could take a picture of that, that would have to be one of the best pictures ever. And I've never seen a really, really, really good one. And you got a really good one of it going away. Still want one coming at me. Yeah, or side shot. But yeah. the, so- here's the next challenge. Sunset tailing mutton snapper with the sun mm. coming through the red tail. That's that a tough one. They're amazing. real sporadic. I did one of my f- first trips out there with a camera. I think I, and I haven't been able to refine this picture, but I did get a, a tailing mutton. I thought it was a bonefish at the time and it was too far away. And then when I zoomed, I never got to the fish, but I zoomed in on the picture later and I was like, you can see the color. I was like, that was a mutton. Mm. And that's the place where I have seen them more regularly. So. Oh, when you get that picture, that'd be pretty <laughs> awesome. <laughs> well, um, so you got your Instagram for your house. Where where else can people find it? Um, they will be able to find it with our property managers, um, which is abacoislandrentals.com. Um, it's not up there just yet. We're kind of trying to get a little closer to finishing before we put it back up there with new photos and uh, all the details. What about like VRBO or do they do international stuff like that? They do. Yeah. You can have Verbo there and HomeAway and some of that other stuff. And we might end up having it some of those places. Um, Our property managers have had Abaco Island rentals there for, I don't know, 30 years and they do a real good business. And it's when you go with Verbo or one of those other places, they take their cut. Right. So I would rather support the community and let them take you know, not have part of that cut go to the big company like that. So we probably won't do that. I think between I've gotten real good reaction um, with the fishing side on my 
Instagram at Bonefish Bluff. Um, I think between that and the amount of people that already want to go there through the property manager, I think we'll be fine. Plus, you're so. going to be like Forrest Gump. You're going to all of a sudden, there's not going to be any other place to stay but your yeah. place. Yeah, I mean, it is <laughs> and pretty amazing. And was easy. Yeah, exactly. Because, I mean, there's I, we're already having lots of people want to come, and I'm like, I really would love to have you, but I just I got to get some more work done first, you know, and get a little bit closer. I mean, there's so many people that want to come now just to stay and maybe volunteer or just go and spend their tourist dollars because that's what people really need. They need right the normality to come back. You know, they need income. So that's their business. Come as soon as you can. Spend some money. It's one of the best ways you can help. And you get to be on vacation while you're helping. Or you could also go there. You could put your name up on the board to volunteer a couple of days. Wow, people, that's cool. You know. You could just volunteer for the whole community. Yeah, yeah. They have a, like a board up on the right downtown. It's like a place you can sign up to volunteer. People call you and say, yeah, can you help pick up debris? Or if you're like, I'm an electrician or I'm a carpenter or I have whatever skills, they'll put you to work. Man, that's cool. I mean, right right from the start, there's been all these groups of people just coming and volunteering for a week or a month, just working every day, crazy amounts of work just for free, rebuilding people's houses just from the ground up or from start with the roof. Or It's pretty amazing how it much is. how much materials came over and how many people came over to rebuild. So... It is pretty impressive. I mean, for our part, we were kind of like, we donated some money at the beginning, and then we were like, well, let's get that house back up and running, get it on the rental market, get people over there, spending money, renting boats, going to the restaurants, you know. That's the best way. I mean, that's so. that's the ultimate way to help, I think. And really for the ultimate way to help, I mean, you know, if you got a guy that's an electrician or, or has some special skills, obviously that's going to be the best use of their time. But if you're if you're just a regular person, I mean... The best way you can help the Bahamas, in my opinion, is go spend some money there. Yeah. Like, like whether that's Green Turtle or, or you go to a Bonefish Lodge or even an island that wasn't hit quite as hard as some others. Absolutely. All of that goes into taxes and the Bahamian government is overwhelmed. They need the money to help other places rebuild. Right. Hopefully it'll trickle down. Yeah, it will trickle down though. But you're gonna you're gonna have that place up and running. I can't wait to go. I really wanted to go early on on to to help. Um, There's plenty of time. There's yeah, plenty of help needed. You can I come. I am. I'm going back in to, a couple of weeks. You want to grab a chainsaw? Help me clean up my mangroves. I'm really good at tearing things down. When it comes to building things back up, I'm not quite as good. But I'll I can I can hold heavy things. You can hold everything. There's so much debris out in the mangroves right in front of the house that will get covered up eventually with green but i'd like to get it out of there right get it up into a trash pile and get it out mm-hmm. perfect thing for you get well, dirty lift heavy stuff that's what i like to do <laughs> that's my favorite thing all right jason well um that's awesome man great I'm, I'm happy for you that you got that thing going it's been a real trying extremely stressful time for you but you're you're actually doing quite well with it from the outside Maybe you're full of turmoil <laughs> in the inside and, and, and about to pop. But I mean, I have twins, so I do pretty well on like two hours of sleep. Yeah, too, you, know? you seem to be doing really well with it. But, um, you know, I know that we had talked about this for, what, eight years yeah. probably for you. Like this has been such a dream of yours to, to do something like this. So it's really cool to see it um, 
happen to come to fruition because a lot of people just talk about it. And then a lot of people, I mean, there's been probably, I don't know, 10,000 moments in, in this process that you could have given up and anyone would have said, well, of course, like you had the worst hurricane ever. Of course (laughs) you gave up like, but you haven't, you've stayed true to your, your goal. You stay true to your, um, to your dream. And, and it's really cool to watch it. Really is. Well, there's been, there was a couple things. It was one of them was talking to you about it all the time, and you were always like, "I believe you can do whatever you set your heart to." And I was like, "Somebody really believes in me," and I always appreciated that about you. So all the positivity. And then the other thing was on uh, New Year's of 2018, had a couple cocktails, and my wife and I, and we were like, "This next year this is going to be the year of sending it." In my daughter's terms, we're just going to flip and send it. As one of their friends always said, we're going to flip and send it. Next morning, you're like, okay. Well, a couple months later, we're like, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, that, yeah. And we kind of kept building up to that. And we're like, we talked about it and talked about it. We're like, we've been talking about this for years. Let's just figure it out. Let's just send it, figure it out later. And that's what we did. And that's, we're getting there. I think yeah. it's. <laughs> I th- I think it's a good idea. We'll see. <laughs> oh no, it's a great idea. It, it really is. It's a great idea, and you're gonna, um, you're gonna be very happy with it. But I mean, it, if 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 there's ever been something that came with its share of challenges, frustrations, and things that are truly out of your control, I would mm-hmm. say that the process of of getting to where you are right now certainly is the definition of that. I mean, things that are out of your control are far too numerous to count, yes. <laughs> including the the worst hurricane on record. And then, uh, you know, I mean, just infinite possibilities to, to give up on it and nobody would have blamed you one bit. But you didn't. You stuck with it. So good for you. Thank you. It's been a, it's been a challenge and a dream all at the same time so yeah <laughs> it's a challenging dream uh all right everybody go to bonefish bluff on instagram and check it out it's really cool you can see the progress of the house you can see uh the vision of what it's going to be and then if you're interested you can go over there and catch jason's bonefish <laughs> we call it yard work yard work there you go that's a new definition of yard work i love it i love it bahamian yard work all right jason we'll see you later see you